You are listening to Spotlight 19, and welcome back. This is Justin Tracy. Spotlight 19 is the podcast keeping you informed about Congressional District 19. Today's episode was put together through a partnership with Indivisible The Fight Is On, a grassroots activist group in Dutchess County that you may know of that is releasing a monthly e-blast featuring exclusive content related to a specific topic every month. This month's theme is a deep dive into the environment, and our episode will be focused on the PFAS issue. PFAS are a group of chemicals used to produce things like firefighting foam and other heavy industrial products that are known carcinogens. Companies like DuPont and 3M are just some of the ones responsible for these chemicals. So on today's show, we'll first hear Sarge's interview with Judith Enk, who is a former Regional 2 EPA Administrator, who will give us a primer on the PFAS issue. And that'll be followed by Sarge's interview with Representative Delgado, who is on the show for the first time as our congressman. Congressman Delgado will talk about some of the legislation and work he has done on the PFAS issue. So stay tuned for that. And now, Sarge's interview with Judith Enk, here on Spotlight 19. Today, we're speaking to Judith Enk. She formerly served as the Region 2 Administrator of the Environmental Protection Administration, and she is incredibly knowledgeable about environmental issues that impact our congressional district and the state and also New Jersey. She she covered a huge region as Region 2 Administrator. Thank you so much for being with us today. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. So I wanted to discuss, actually, uh, we're having a very specific topic this month, and that is the PFOA and PFAS contamination issues that are cropping up, um, not only in our district, but really around the country. Could you just give uh, the layperson an overview of what, what is PFAS and PFOA contamination in our drinking water? Well, these were two widely used chemicals over the years. PFOA um, was used in a wide variety of manufacturing processes, and PFOS is mostly found in um, high-temperature firefighter foam, meaning not every time there's a fire, but if there's a high-temperature fire, like at a military base or an airport, Firefighters would use, I'm sure your listeners have seen this white foam to put out fires. And unfortunately, that contains a highly toxic chemical called PFOS. So over the years, these chemicals were used. They've contaminated both groundwater and surface water, um, which is like a, like a lake, uh, a reservoir that's used for drinking water. And they are very persistent in the environment. And unfortunately, very bad for our health if we consume water that contains either contaminant. The epicenter of concern in uh, Congressmember Delgado's district 
is Newburgh, where PFOS was used extensively at the Stewart Airport um, and, and contaminated the Newburgh public water, drinking water supply, serving around 25,000 people. And then the other concerns are Hoosick Falls in Rensselaer County, which is, you know, the far northern reach of the 19th Congressional District, and then about 10 miles away in Petersburg, New York. Both public water supplies in those communities were contaminated with PFOA. The problem is, according to Dow Chemical themselves, the companies that manufactured PFOA, is that if you drink uh, high levels of PFOA in drinking water, um, you are more likely uh, to um, come down with some very serious um, sicknesses, kidney cancer, testicular cancer, thyroid disease, pregnancy-induced hypertension, um, and, and two others that I'm not recalling right now. So um, these were uh, illnesses that the company agreed to and litigants in a lawsuit in the Ohio River Valley agreed to. So we have very settled science that consuming drinking water with PFOA is a major, major problem. Sure, and it doesn't, the outlook does not sound very good at all. Um, so, you know, in the past two years, we've seen the administration really undo a lot of the mm -hmm. environmental legacy of the preceding eight years. Um, what were you actually working on as administrator in your time with um, President under serving under President Obama, and what have you seen that could potentially undo some of that as it as related to PFOA and research and you know and mitigating measures to kind mm -hmm. of address this issue? Well, it was my great privilege to be appointed by President Obama to serve as EPA Region 2 Regional Administrator, which, as you mentioned, included New Jersey, New York, eight Indian nations, New York, um, Puerto Rico, and the U.S. Virgin Islands as well. And the Trump administration is hands down the most anti-environmental, anti-public health presidency in the history of the nation. Um, the Trump administration has either delayed or um, walked back over 80 major environmental regulations, and they have not done a good job dealing with the PFOA, PFOS issue. Um, in Hoosick Falls, uh, where part of the community is a federal Superfund site, they've been very, very slow uh, to clean up this toxic legacy. And the EPA has been all but missing in action in Newburgh. Um, at the federal level, the first Trump EPA administrator, the disgraced Scott Pruitt, who has since resigned, um, said that EPA would develop new drinking water standards for these chemicals. They have not. Um, they seem to be walking back new research for children's environmental health. And that is a real problem. Uh, anyone that's drinking contaminated water is at risk for a number of adverse health impacts, but particularly if you're a child because your body is still developing. So the Trump administration has been an environmental disaster. 
uh, even on the most compelling issues like getting toxins out of drinking water. Right, and the state has the state. We're lucky that we live in the state of New York, where uh, you know the state has really stepped in and taken on some of the some of the projects that perhaps the EPA should should be doing as well. Or it's really a collaborative uh, process. But you know, you have to wonder. The state can only do so much. And then there's the other issue where contaminants and pollutants don't know any borders or, Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. you know, the stream that is uh, something that's upstream doesn't recognize congressional districts or anything Mm -hmm. like that. So um, same with our air. So it's really um, unfortunate that while we do, we have the benefit of living in New York State and we have a governor who cares and we have the DEC and all these other state agencies that can step in, that's not the case across the country at all. Well, that is true, and New York State environmental policy is certainly better than other states, but I would actually disagree with you a little bit when it comes to PFOA and PFOS. The state of New York has not filled the void left by the federal government. Over three years ago, Governor Cuomo has said said that if the federal government did not develop better, stricter drinking water standards, the state of New York will. They still have not. Instead, the governor and the state health department set up an advisory committee, which they didn't have to do, but the advisory committee met for over a year and then six months ago made recommendations on new numbers for New York. And the New York York State Health Department still has not announced new drinking water standards for these contaminants. I think there's a real lack of urgency at the state health department when it comes to protecting New Yorkers from the dangers of toxins and drinking water. And certainly the state is significantly better than the federal government on many issues, but I would maintain that on changing drinking water protections, um, the state is not any better than the federal EPA. Okay, that's uh, that's really uh, important for our listeners to know about and hear about. Um, what are the best ways that people can get in, get involved, find out more information about this issue, and really bring it to the attention of our of our state legislature? And also, uh, what can we do? Because at this point, you know, you mentioned Scott Pruitt, and we uh, kind of. We're very against his tenure, mm-hmm. but in our last episode, we actually mentioned how, now how the the, admini- the current administrator has equally bad policies. Maybe mm-hmm. he's not as mm-hmm. overtly corrupt, and now mm-hmm. it's not in the media's eye as much because you know he's not um, mm-hmm. you know installing soundproof uh, X Y Z. I can't mm-hmm. even remember it's been so long, but he's he's kind of quieter, but quietly. In, mm-hmm. instilling the same types of bad policy. Yeah, you're you're absolutely right. Um, uh, Andrew Wheeler, the current administrator, who his previous job was as a coal industry lobbyist, uh, which just kind of makes me stop and pause. Whoever would have thought that a coal industry lobbyist would be the head of the EPA? Um, but he, from a policy perspective, he's just as bad as Scott Pruitt. Um, but he is just not as buffoonish and, and I think doesn't get the public attention that is needed. You know, 
your your question, what can individuals do, is is a really good question. Um, one is if you're on a public water supply, you should call your public water supplier and find out exactly what is in your water. There's some really good resources on the website of the Environmental Working Group. That's a national uh, environmental advocacy group, www.ewg.org. And just today, the New York Public Interest Research Group, NYPIRG, released a stunning new report on problems with drinking water across the state. So I would go to the NYPIRG website, nypirg.org, and look uh, for your specific uh, water supplier to see what is in your water. What if uh, you have a well, which is yeah. my current problem. And uh, I've talked about it before on the show. My whole family is environmental engineers. Mm -hmm. um, and mm -hmm. my dad, about a year and a half ago, said, you know what, just switch to um, getting bottled water. Hmm. and away from the well because it's we're a little bit unsure about what's actually in there. So um, I, what do you recommend? This is a very rural district. I believe, mm -hmm. you know, one of Congressman Delgado's statistics is it's the eighth most rural district in the country. What, mm -hmm. what, do, what do you do if you have your own well? Yeah, well, you're right that well water is almost completely unregulated. I also have a private well, and it's tested when you first um, dig the well when you're having your home built, um, but it's only tested for bacteria and nitrates, not for toxic chemicals. So if there is concern about drinking water, you know, one thing you can do is install uh, carbon filtration or at least use a Brita filter. I'm not endorsing particular brands, but you know what I mean, yeah. um, for your drinking water. And then, you know, because there are 80,000 chemicals used in commerce, you really can't get your water tested for all 80,000. So if you have a concern about a particular chemical, so for instance, if you live near Newburgh, you want to test your water for uh, PFOS. Uh, if you live near a farm, you probably want to ask the farmer what are the pesticides that or here using, and you could test for the pesticides. Um, you kind of need to know what are the potential local drinking water threats and then test for those contaminants, but it's all out of pocket. Uh, you've got to do that on your own with a certified lab. You have to work with the lab to make sure, you know, you can't just show up with um, a mayonnaise jar of your drinking water. You typically sure. have, to, you have to get the sterilized jars, follow the chain of command rule. Um, but I will say that most water in New York State is clean. So unless there is a particular local threat, um, you know, I think a, a, a carbon filter takes care of a lot of it. Sure. Well, that's that's reassuring for sure. And um, I just want to give you one last opportunity to let people know. I know you're you continue to be an environmental advocate. Um, I love listening to you on Roundtable in the morning. Um, it's really nice to know that you know there are people out there advocating for the environment when. 
sometimes when you watch the national news, it's it's all very disheartening, especially mm-hmm. you mentioned young children. We have our, our first who's about to turn one. Mm-hmm. So it's, it can all seem a little Congratulations. Thank you very much. Yeah, well, so. definitely follow me on Twitter because I post a lot about plastics, pollution, climate change, drinking water. My Twitter handle is at E-N-C-K-J. So it's at E-N-C-K-J. And I'm teaching at Bennington College in southern Vermont courses on plastic pollution, which is what I'm spending a huge amount of my time on. And I formed a a new initiative called Beyond Plastics. And uh, our website is uh, beyondplastics.org. We're on Twitter, Plastics Beyond. We're on Facebook. Um, And the plastics issue is really interesting. It's huge. It's audacious. It's overwhelming. But there are actually a lot of things we can do, particularly at the local level, to reduce plastic pollution. And... um, you can't see CO2, you can see plastic pollution. So this is an issue that I think um, a lot of people are paying attention to and we're um, just beginning to see some progress on that score. And of course, that's also a water quality issue. Absolutely, it's all all interconnected, isn't it? Well, Judah, thank you so much for being with us today. We really appreciate it, and we'll be following all the good work you're doing. And uh, you know, we'll all of everything that Judith mentioned will be in the description of the podcast, so you can easily access all of that great information and great organization. So, thank you again. My pleasure. Now we move to Saja's interview with Congressman Delgado here on Spotlight 19. So today we welcome back to the show our uh, the, for the first time since he got sworn in as our congressional representative for the 19th Congressional District of New York, uh, Congressman Antonio Delgado. Welcome back to the show. It is good to be back. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. We are so excited to have you. And uh, as you know, we actually um, just spoke with Judith Enk about, she gave us some of the primer information about the PFOA and PFAS crisis across the country. And I want to jump right in. So you have just sponsored and you're really championing this issue and sponsored this legislation called the Right to Know Act, which uh, requires companies to disclose whether they're using these these toxic chemicals. Can you tell us more about the the legislation? Yes. um, Up until, well, now and until we pass this law, um, right now companies do not have to uh, report or keep an inventory uh, of their use of PFOAs. And uh, there are a number of chemicals uh, that are on uh, what's considered a toxic release inventory, that the country, uh, you know, follows and tracks uh, to make sure that as we proceed and think about ways to protect our environment and perfect, protect folks from uh, contaminants, that we track the, these chemicals and make sure that they're not reaching limits that are harmful. Uh, and as of right now, PFOA, uh, PFOS, uh, these are not chemicals that are currently being tracked uh, as toxic. And this legislation... Um, were to make its way through the House and hopefully the Senate, 
uh, would change that fact. So uh, very excited. It's a bipartisan piece of legislation. I've done another a number of things in this space uh, on a bipartisan basis. I also uh, introduced a bill that's bipartisan that would uh, make sure that service members, uh, our veterans who were exposed to PFAS um, on military bases, because a number of these chemicals are used on bases, uh, would be able to have uh, the ability to be tracked as well, and they can receive health care, uh, much needed health care by virtue of their exposure uh, to these contaminants. And lastly, I've introduced legislation uh, to include PFAS and PFOAs on the hazardous substance list so that in the event we come across uh, these spills or these chemicals, um, that the EPA, once it's designated a site, a Superfund site, can come in uh, and clean up the contaminant without having to wait for a private actor to do so. So I've been very busy in this space. Um, very important, you know, to make sure that our communities across the country, and particularly here in upstate New York, uh, can drink clean water. Yeah, absolutely. And you actually mentioned some of our military families, and that's where some of these substances were used, uh, you know, in, in firefighting exercises for, you know, aircraft fires. And I have a question for you. Do you think the Department of Defense or the Pentagon has an obligation um, since these substances were used uh, on military bases to the American people to kind of compensate people that are being, having these adverse health effects uh, from these chemicals? Well, it's hard to say to what extent the Department of Defense has a responsibility to compensate. Uh, most of the things that I have been doing in this space are um, through the private lens. Um, if you look at the impact of contaminants in our district, um, those are contaminants that have been um, exposed by virtue of private actors um, and not knowing the full extent and the full degree to which, um, you know, the, 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 uh, the Pentagon or the Department of Defense is using these chemicals and the knowledge uh, that they've had um, in so doing um, as, as it pertains to contamination, it's hard to know at this point. Um, I'm certainly think it's worth pursuing uh, to the fullest extent possible, understanding uh, what was known, when it was known, um, and to what extent uh, steps weren't taken to mitigate the impacts uh, of these contaminants. Sure, absolutely. And you actually brought, uh, you've brought actually two probably, correct me if I'm wrong if it's more, but you brought Michael Hickey, who is a resident of Hoosick Falls, with you to the State of the Union. And I wanted to ask a question about what, is, what's it, what actually happens to these types of activists if you bring them to an event like the State of the Union. Obviously, they get the visibility, but do they get to interact with other members of Congress? Or what is the actual experience like for uh, someone? And Michael Hickey was someone who was directly affected by the crisis, the PFAS crisis in Hoosick Falls. Yeah, I mean, he's a hero. I mean, he's somebody who, you know, um, made a point after losing his father uh, to figure out what was going on in the community. You know, his father um, never had a drop of alcohol, didn't smoke, um, and, you know, unfortunately died young or too young. And, you know, Michael wanted to understand what was going on, and he tested the waters on his own accord. Uh, and because of his effort, his persistent effort, uh, dealing with state and local actors, and ultimately through the work of Judith Hank, was able to expose the contamination. Uh, and I thought it was important to highlight his work uh, to make sure that he had a chance 
to see the work that we were doing um, in D.C. to come, not just to be a part of the State of the Union, but to testify uh, before the relevant uh, committees of jurisdiction who are uh, thinking of different ways to deal with this uh, contamination issue. Uh, and as far as that night goes, I mean, it was an amazing experience. I mean, we both were able to you know, spend good time together, and he was able to come down a little bit earlier and, and yes, meet with other members. Uh, and also we had a reception um, with the Speaker, and so to be able to meet with the Speaker and other members of Congress and, and just give him a feel for uh, the dynamics in D.C. and give him a chance to be heard uh, across uh, the aisle. So uh, it, it was a wonderful experience to have him there, uh, truly uh, an amazing man and, and, a, and a good friend now. Sure, and obviously the PFAS crisis kind of spills over into a, a number of other areas, and one of them is obviously healthcare because it has these adverse health effects, and especially in rural areas like Petersburg and Hoosick Falls, getting those types of treatments as a result of PFAS exposure can be extremely difficult because you have to travel. Uh, what are some of the work that you've done in the healthcare space that uh, could help people that are affected by this crisis? I know Medicare X is obviously a big initiative that you've undertaken. Yeah, I mean, you know, as you well know, I, I, I talked a lot about achieving a public option, um, you know, for a number uh, a number of years during my campaign. And, yes, years. It was a long, a long <laughs> uh, road. And, you know, for me, being able to actually get to Congress within the first five months uh, of my time in Congress, be the only member to introduce a bill uh, that would get us to uh, universal health care via a public option um, is, is pretty special. And it's a good bill because it allows folks the choice to buy into Medicare. It allows Medicare to have negotiating power with the pharmaceutical industry. Um, and it lifts the cap off of premium assistance so that more and more folks can get the support that they need to actually afford uh, quality health care. And it starts in those areas across the country where um, there's a shortage of providers. And so the rollout um, benefits rural communities like ours. Not a lot of folks know this, but my district uh, is the third most rural seat of any Democrat in Congress, and it's the eighth in the entire country. So it's important that we do the work to make sure that we're prioritizing communities like ours. Um, so, yes, very happy to do that work. Also proud to support legislation that just passed the House that really helps bring down prescription drug costs uh, and does away with the practice of having prescription drug companies pay generic brand companies to keep their products on the shelves and makes it easier for generic brand companies to sue prescription drug companies when they uh, do not uh, give them the appropriate copycat sample so that we can have a more diverse marketplace, which obviously would impact the cost of prescription drugs. That actually just passed the House. The problem is we're not getting enough support uh, in the Senate. So a lot of good work in this space, uh, and I'm building co-sponsorships um, with Medicare X. A number of folks in my class have signed on, uh, and so we're pretty excited about the momentum. And we have a companion bill uh, in the Senate uh, sponsored by Kane and Bennett. Okay, great. I mean, it is difficult. You've talked about all this great legislation, all this great work that's going on, but you're kind of hamstrung by the Senate, which isn't going to take up uh, a lot of this legislation until it's flipped. Has that, what has that kind of impasse been like to work under? Well, it's frustrating. Uh, there's no doubt about it. But I think part of the work that we have to keep doing is demonstrating to the people that there's an agenda here 
that is dedicated, at least from my vantage point, to the people here at home. I mean, I've not only co-sponsored over 90-plus bills, I've also introduced 11 bills, whether it's in the veteran space, in the farming space, in the healthcare space, in the opioid space. And I can walk through a list of different things that my office has introduced, and the vast majority of those bills are actually bipartisan. So I'm creating and working very hard to generate opportunities to reach across the aisle uh, and find common ground. And I'm able to in- introduce legislation. And will that actually make its way through uh, the Senate? Uh, unlikely. But at the end of the day, we're still building a track record. And as power dynamics shift in the coming months and years, um, one would hope that we would at least be able to uh, learn from where we've gotten, pull from these uh, types of bills, legislation, and continue to build uh, forward with the good ideas that we've been able to plant uh, in the soil as we've made our way through this term. Absolutely. And I always like to end on something later. We're in the middle of a district work week, so that actually means you're back home. Uh, I just got a notification that you're going to have your uh, 14th town hall on Saturday. Yes. I think you just completed your 13th, so you're you're getting, in, getting to- headed towards 20 by the end of the second quarter, which is absolutely stunning and amazing um but it also means you get to be get to be home with uh, your family and one of the posts that really stuck with me was uh you were talking about taking your kids uh to school and i was actually away from ray for the first time in a year so i have i have so much respect for what you're doing it's just being away so what's it like being back home what are you hearing at town halls and how's it been to just uh spend time with the kids well I really appreciate that. And let me, you know, say to you on the air, um, you know, congratulations and, and so happy for you, uh, Thank you. On, on, on the new edition. Um, and, you know, it's a beautiful thing, right, to, to be a parent. It's, I, I take a lot of pride and, and a lot of joy um, in, in being a father. And it is hard, um, you know, being away from the kids uh, so much now. Um, so when I am home, I, I really, you know, soak it up and enjoy every, every minute, uh, of, uh, the time I have with them, uh, understanding how valuable it is. At the same time though, you know, I never forget the fact that, um, they're growing up in a household where their proximity to, uh, the world of politics could not be any closer. And to think that, uh, they are in that position, I think is a gift as well. I think it's um, something that I take uh, very seriously, and I'm, I hope that as they come of age, whatever sacrifices we've had to make in terms of our time spent together, they understand the value in the work that I'm doing, and hopefully they take on a mentality that instills in them uh, a commitment to service as well. Well, I uh, don't want to take any more of your precious time. Um, thank you so much for being with us. I know our listeners are obviously looking forward to what's in store, looking forward to the summer because you will be um, in the district much more. And uh, thank you again for being with us. No, thank you for having me. I hope to see uh, all those listeners out there. I hope to see you out there at some point. I will be out there uh, consistently, often, and uh, really excited to keep the conversation going to our listeners thank you so much for tuning in you can keep in touch with spotlight 19 on social media our handle is at ny spotlight 19 and you can find ways to keep informed with congressman delgado and judy thanks group 
on the podcast details. So here at Spotlight 19, we are launching a Patreon campaign this summer. So please stay tuned on how you can sponsor and contribute to the continued development of this podcast. This is Justin Tracy. We'll see you next time. And until then, keep the faith.